Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 104. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Motivation can come in many different forms, and proving people wrong has fueled that motivation for our guest this episode, Bradley Pena. Growing up outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, Bradley would become a multi-sport athlete at Northwest High School before signing with Clemson University and head coach Dabo Sweeney as a punter and kick specialist. After setting multiple punting records at Clemson, he would forego his senior season and enter the NFL draft and was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in the fifth round of the 2015 draft. And he was the only punter to be selected in the draft that year. He currently holds an almost 44-yard punting average over his four-year career with the 49ers. And our conversation with Bradley was just a few weeks prior to him signing a four-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and new head coach Bruce Arians. Here's episode 104 with Bradley Pinion. Bradley, thank you, sir. Yeah. I greatly appreciate it. And it's always great to have Clemson grads. Oh, yeah. Go Tigers. That's right. Go Tigers. But now, for you, though, right now, what is life like? It's off season. So, what do you do during the off season? Well, there is not really off season, honestly. So, um, no more. I mean, you're, it's, it's constant. It's constant. I've already started working out again. I've already started, I kicked like one time last week for the first time since the end of the season. So, there really is no off season. But this, this time period is probably. Besides actually playing, one of my favorites. I get to spend time with my wife that we just got married six months ago. Oh, that's important. It, yes. Very, very important. <laughs> um, I get to spend time with my two dogs, which I'm probably enjoy besides my wife. And then I have a house on Lake Kiwi. And we go up there and we do absolutely nothing. I go work out at Clemson. I come back to my house and I do nothing. And, and it's been just fantastic. I watch a bunch of Netflix. I watch a bunch of Hulu. I... Uh, Play with my dogs. When it's warm outside, we go sit on the dock. We go swimming. We have a boat. We go boating. And that's what we do this time of the year. What's on the playlist then? Netflix, Hulu. Tell me what you're, what you're binge watching these days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, right now I'm watching a kind of a weird one, actually. I've watched so many of them. I had to kind of find something. It's called Legion. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I haven't heard of it it's, yet. It's kind of trippy. I'm not going to lie. So I'm, I got, it's one of those like the first episode, you're so confused, you have to watch the second. And then the second episode, you're so confused, you have to watch the third. So it just kind of keeps <laughs> dragging you on. They do it on purpose. Oh, I'm, I'm so confused. But some of my favorites have been like, uh, let's see. Um, I don't know if this one's on Hulu or not, but um, Suits. You ever watch Suits? I know of it, but I haven't watched it's, it. It's really good. Um, me and Robbie Gold, our kicker, we always pick a TV show every year okay. when we're on like the tra- like traveling and stuff like that because we're flying all the time. We're on the same episode so we can talk about <laughs> it and everything like little gossip girls over there. Um, but Suits is really good. We've had uh, Longmire. I'm a big country guy. Went to the Luke Combs concert last night. Oh, fantastic. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, but Longmire, it's kind of like a deputy protective type thing in the middle of nowhere. Um, stuff just... I don't know. Yeah, are these ones that your wife likes as well, or are you watching these? No, my wife is watching, like, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and <laughs> no, she hates that stuff. Um, she's watching, this, like, The Handmaid's Tale and kind of more This Is Us type thing, where I'm just like, give me something manly. Where, manly, Manly, yes. yeah. yeah. 
And you, you mentioned you just kicked for the first time yeah. uh, just recently. So how is that in terms of rust? I mean, you just go out there and it's just so natural. You can jump right back into it or do you have to work your way back into it if you've had some time off? This is actually earlier than I've ever started. Um, and the, the purpose of it was to kind of not let that rust set in. Because um, we've only, what, a month and a, two weeks removed from the season. I usually give myself like two months to kind of just get my body back. Um, I usually give myself like a month of nothing, basically. month of travel, having fun, going places. A month of just working out. And then we kind of start March. I start kicking again because we have to go back for OTAs, OTAs in April. Um, but this time I was like, you know what, I've been doing that. How about I just like go kick 40 balls once a week? starting mid-February. And that way when March hits and I'm starting to kind of pick it back up a little bit, it's, it's not as much rust to kick off because I've noticed the, the rust has been getting easier and easier to kick, like, get off, but it's been one of those things where it's been, like, still so frustrating because I'm like, I know I'm better than this. Like, <laughs> what am I doing right now? So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go hit 40 balls once a week and see what happens. And I there wasn't very much rust to knock off on, I think it was Tuesday when I went out there. So Now, when you're exciting. kicking 40 balls... Are you just out there by yourself? I mean, so kick 40 balls, have to go retrieve them? and So I have a bag of 10 balls. I kick 10, walk down, kick 10 back, walk down, kick 10 back, walk down, kick 10 back, and I'm done. Basically well, how it is. Now, why don't you kick them and then do a sprint? See, I've thought, I've thought about doing that. <laughs> we really have. So we, we have really good strength conditioning staff at San Francisco. And we've actually talked about, like, positional conditioning. And they were like, you're never just running. And I'm like, no, never. Like, I literally, most running I'm doing is to the sideline after a punt, honestly. <laughs> and they were like, well, why don't like we incorporate some of your strength conditioning? It's like you punt in a ball and then say you have to run down the field. I'm like, that's actually a pretty good idea. So some of my conditioning I've done in the past and started doing this past year is I'd simulate a punt, so I'm not wearing out my leg. I'd simulate a punt, and then I'd take off sprinting 60 yards. And then I'd simulate a punt, and I'd take off sprinting 50 yards. And I just kind of – that was kind of just how we started simulating – game-like conditioning and it worked it yeah. was pretty good well i think that's a novel concept yeah. just to try it and and again hey that's this is another workout for right. you right exactly right so at least getting some cardio in there how in the world did you become a specialized football player in punting so walk us through kind of how you gravitated towards sports and then ultimately to be a punter yeah so my family was always huge on sports um my mom very athletic. My dad was like wrestling, football, um, you name it. My family's played it basically. Um, so I, my first love was soccer. I started playing soccer at like four years old. I had an older brother who was four years older than me, and um, whatever he did, I had I had to do. So he started playing soccer, and I was like four years old, and I was like, I want to play soccer. So I'm out. I mean, I was still tall when I was four years old. So I'm out there with like the five and six years old playing soccer at four years old. And my mom's like, I'm kicking the ball farther than everybody. So that's kind of how sports got started. It was just because my older brother and I was way too Yeah, you wanted to be like him. I was wanting to be like him, way too competitive. Um, but playing soccer my whole life, I played soccer, basketball, football, baseball, I mean, tennis, golf, you name it. Um, but football really didn't start until seventh or eighth grade. Um, I used to say, like, I'll never play football, like, hey, football, all this stuff, because I was a soccer player. Like, soccer was my my sport. That was it. That was it. My grandpa, though, however, was a punter. My grandpa punted for Dallas way back when, um, for a year. He had, like, a little stint with Dallas. I don't know if he actually played a game, but he had a little stint when he was down there. 
And um, well, it's even better. I'm a Dallas Cowboys yeah. fan. Yeah, that's what we, we grew up. Dallas Cowboys fan. Yes, sir. Dallas Cowboys and Carolina Panthers. That's who we just pulled for. America's team. Exactly. <laughs> um, I can't really say that now. That's but. right. Yes, <laughs> we know where your allegiance is now. Um, so he was like, "Boy, you ought to try because I could kick a soccer ball a country mile." And he's like, "You ought to try kicking a football." And I'm like, oh, "Paul, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to kick a football." And then I'd push it off and push it off until about seventh or eighth grade. And then for Christmas, I asked for a football. And um, I got the football, and he's like, "No, what? I'm gonna give this shot. I'm gonna kick it." So we we lived right beside our, our my high school, basically. So we walked to our high school practice field, and my dad was like, "What you want to do?" Thinking I was gonna want to throw it around, and he's like, "What you want to do?" I was like, "I want to kick it." And so he put it on his foot. I kicked a 35 yard field goal, first time I ever kicked a, field, a football in my entire life. Straight, I'm talking like straight down the middle, just and naturally, this, just walked out there and kicked it. My dad put it on his foot, and I kicked it, and it went through the upright 35 yards. And he was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on, do that again. So he went and got the ball, put it back on his foot, and I did the exact same thing. And uh, he was like, stop. Because I guess he saw something. He was like, stop. We're going to get you some like professional help. And then that's kind of how it got started. I was literally got a football for Christmas and went out to the field with my dad and kicked a 35-yard field goal. Um, it is kind of funny, though. I used to hate punting. Like, me and punting didn't get along. I no. wanted to be a field goal kicker and a kickoff guy. Me and punting didn't get along. Why did, did you hate punting? I did, it was hard. Punting is the hardest of them all because you're tossing a ball in the air and having to hit a moving ball. You're having to do all the things that kickers don't have to do. You have to catch a ball, you have to throw a football, basically, and you have to swing your leg. All in, all in within two seconds, basically. That's a lot going on. A lot going on within two seconds. So I used to hate it. But my dad was like, you have the punting frame, you're tall, blah, blah, blah. And he just kept pushing me. And thank God he did because I, there was a point where, like, Field goals started going like this for me, and punting started going like this, and we, uh, it was good. But yeah, it, I used to hate punting. I actually wasn't even going to punt my freshman year in high school because um, I played varsity my freshman year, and I wasn't going to punt. Our punt, our quarterback, who was Jeremy Cannon, who was actually get recruited for a lot of different schools, he was a knucklehead and ended up not going anywhere, but um, was going to be our punter. And the only reason I punted my freshman year of high school was because he tore his ACL in like a scrimmage before the season ever started. And the, our coach was like, all right, you got to punt now. And that's, if I think, honestly think if Jeremy would not have torn his ACL in that game, I'd be a field goal kicker. Cause I had scholarships to kick field goals. Like Duke wanted me to kick field goals. Um, Cause they had Will Monday at the time was a punter. Um, different school, like NC State wanted me to kick field goals. There was different schools that wanted me to kick field goals. And by that time, I had fallen in love with punting enough to know, like, all right, punting is where it's going to take me further. That you can really specialize in punting. Yeah. So it was kind of just by happenstance at all. It's kind of so that one together. pivotal moment yeah, one could pivot- be attributed to that somebody's pivotal- ACL getting torn. But yeah. I, re- I firmly believe that, like, if it wouldn't have happened because – I had no desire to punt, and Jeremy Cannon was a good punter, but he tore his ACL, and there I was, what, 14 years old, 15 years, <laughs> probably not even, because I was young. Yeah, and on varsity. Yeah, and on varsity. I never played a JV sport, basketball, soccer, or football. Yeah, because, and again, you're, what, 6'5"? Yeah, I'm 6'6". Six, 6'6"? Six. Six, six. Yeah, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, I'm so jealous. Yeah, I actually didn't get to 6'6 six, six until college. I, I grew up like two or three inches when I got to college, because I was 17 when I got to Clemson. Yeah. And then how did you decide on Clemson then? You know, how did that come about? This is even funnier. My brother went to South Carolina. Um, so my brother's Facebook picture to this day is me on a recruiting visit to South Carolina in a South Carolina hoodie standing beside Marcus <laughs> Lattimore and him. 
my brother's Facebook picture to this day. He's going to keep it that way, he right? He said he's never changing. Yeah, of course I'm like, not. You know what? Good, good for you. Um, but I was getting started getting pretty highly recruited, honestly, after my sophomore season of, of high school, and was just like, you know what? Like I started getting stuff like Alabama, Auburn, Florida, LSU, and this was for punting. Now this was for all. This was for, for all everything. of it. Okay. It's like I had, like I said, I had offers for field goals. I had offers for punting. I had offers for, for kicking off. I had offers for all of it. And uh, so we were actually, I was really, really high on Georgia. Um, Mark Rick was there. There was a coach named Warren Beelan, um, who actually had a little bit of, played, uh, coached a little bit at the Panthers. Um, and I really liked Coach Beelan. And I was on the way back from a junior day at Georgia, and Clemson was having a junior day on the same day, and I'd picked the Georgia junior day over the Clemson junior day. The first ever letter I got from Clemson, I threw it in the trash. Because I'm like, I'm not going to Clemson. They treat, they had the reputation of treating their kickers like crap. That's just kind of how it. No, what do you mean treating their kickers like crap? I, I think it was before the Sweeney era. Um, I'd just seen stuff of like them getting chewed out on the sidelines for missing field goals. This was like kind of right when all this stuff with like the Auburn stuff was going on when we had missed the field goals against Auburn. And it was just kind of all that was going on. And so the kicking stigma at Clemson was not very good at the time. Um, so I threw my first, I threw my first Clemson letter in the trash. To be honest with you, my brother was sitting there, and I was like, "I'm not going here." I'm a, I'm a, I always say, "I'm not going here." I'm a South Carolina fan. <laughs> yeah, do it in the trash. And he was happy with that. He was loving it. Yeah, he was loving it. Um, but I was actually really high on Georgia. Was basically like almost committed to Georgia, and on coming back from a junior day at Georgia, and I get a phone call, and it was Mike Dooley, is who it was, who was, works for Clemson. And uh, he said, hey, like, we know you were at Georgia today. You have to drive right past us on the way back to North Carolina. Why don't you just stop by on the tail end of our junior day? And I'm like, why not? Like, it'd be cool to see the campus. I walked on campus and fell in love with the campus. Like Immediately. Immediately fell in love. They it, This is back when the recruiting rules were a little different. You could actually run down the hill. Um, so they threw jerseys on us, ran down the hill, and... My mom said in the moment she all saw me run down the hill and the luck on my face after I ran down the hill, she knew I was going to Clemson. Clemson hadn't even offered me yet. Get this. Like, Clemson hadn't even offered me yet. Um, but they knew I was going. My mom was like, I knew that. She didn't say it, but she said after later down the road, she was like, I knew you were going to Clemson after that moment. Um, but Did was, you feel the same way? I was. They had, like, stopped, went from, like, the bottom of the barrel to the very <laughs> top, top three um, really quickly. Uh, and then after that, I started going to, like, bunch of Clemson games because it was only two hours from my house. It's only two hours from Charlotte where I grew up. So but I started going to a bunch of Clemson games, started coming to more junior days, started getting to know them. Um, but I still just didn't have an offer from them. And I was like, you know, they're not going to offer. I mean, I had offers from like Auburn, ECU, NC State, UNC. I had, I had all, these, all these offers Duke, like all these ACC, SEC offers. And But Clemson was still, still kind of sitting there. And I was like, well, this is really where I want to go. Like, I can't like make it seem like this is where I want to go, but like this is really where I want to go. And finally, they had came and watched me at high, kick in high school, like down at, at Northwest. Um, then, then they were like, you know what, we really wanted to like, Coach, we really want you just you to come to a camp and kick in person. I was like, y'all have seen me kick like five times. Just are y'all going to offer me or not? And I ended up giving in and coming down for a camp. And I was like, I'm not coming for the whole camp because I had like a literally a lineup of camps that I, I was going to go to. I was going to like literally be like a two-week road trip is what it was going to be. Like Florida State, Florida, 
hit them back, coming back up the coast and then go up like Boston College. We had this whole thing mapped out. And um, <clears throat> and would you do that every summer? Or is this just the this summer? Was going into, this is the summer year. going into my senior year. Kind of when like I'd already had a bunch of offers. Um, and I really just, I told myself, I want to commit somewhere before my senior year so I can just enjoy my senior year. And so it was one of those things like, all right, I'm taking, visit all these schools, see all these camps, and I'm rolling. And we, Clemson was probably the seventh, sixth or seventh camp that, that summer. And um, went, to clamp, went to the camp, was actually sick, had like a head cold, was not feeling very well. Honestly, didn't even punt that well. Kicked off pretty well. Um, but I punted well enough, and Coach Rooney was like, don't leave, come see me in my office. Walked into Coach Rooney's office, he's like, hey, we're offering you a full ride. Like, finally everything. <laughs> like, but I had to like keep the, con- I had to contain my excitement. It was, I'm sitting in his office like, oh, I really appreciate it, but on the inside, like fireworks are going on. So you had on. your poker face yeah, on. Yeah, I had my poker face on. I can't let him know I'm like basically gonna commit. Um, but then I had it nailed down to um, UNC because my brother was four years older, like I said, and was leaving South or North Carolina, South Carolina to go to North Carolina to get his doctorate. So I could have gone to school with my brother, which would have been cool. I had it down to North Carolina, um, Clemson, and Georgia. It basically was my top three. And um, I had a, I have a really good mentor still to this day, my kicking coach, Dan Orner. And I called him and I was like, all right, I want to make this decision. And he was like, all right, well, let's make a decision. And so we sat down and we started waiting out pros and cons. And, and which I wasn't pitching him to be biased to North Carolina because he actually kicked at North Carolina. And, um, but he was very unbiased and was like pros and cons. And all right, it looks like you're leaning towards Clemson. And I was like, all right, it looks like I'm leaning towards Clemson. Well, then the craziest thing um, happened. I was, my, my parents had split. And my dad lived in Hickory, North Carolina. My mom lived in Concord, Charlotte area. And um, I used to have to go to my dad's on certain weekends and come home. And I was driving back from my dad's. I mean, my dad, I just had a conversation about, like, where am I going to go, blah, blah. And um, I'm driving through the, like, uh, I guess you'd call it the Salisbury area on 40 right there. And I had a little old S10 Sonoma truck that my dad had had since literally the day I was born. And I ended up driving it for a while. And I'm driving down through there, and I'm a very religious person. Um, and I turn the music down, and I'm like, you know what, Lord, where do you want me to go? I literally just turned the music down and was like, Lord, where do you want me to go? And I remember s- specifically seeing the Salisbury sign, like, or the, the sign, and I just kind of sat there for a minute with the radio off. I was like, Lord, just give me a sign, give me something. Like, just give me something. Like, I want to make sure I'm making the right choice. And turned the radio back up and went on about my business. Didn't think anything of it. The next day, um, I go in for workouts in high school and I usually, I was, this was like, right. I had some more camps come in. So I wasn't really working out really hard cause I didn't want to be sore, but I was kicking a lot and went into the coach and I was like, Hey, I'm not going to work out today. I'm going to go down to the game field and I'm going to kick some. And he was like, Oh, you can't go to the game field. It's just got aerated. It's not going to be any good. I never went to our practice field to kick. Our practice field is like out on an open track and like, I just never went down there and our practice field was terrible. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to the practice field. So I go down to the practice field. It has an open track where the public can come and walk around. And, and I mean, I never kicked down there. They had, like, my high school to this day, has, I have a key to our stadium. Because when I was in high school, I would ask them so many times to come unlock the stadium so I could kick it. They were like, screw it. Here's a key. Yeah, exactly. We're tired yeah. of helping you out. You just <laughs> Here's a key. go like, when you want to. I learned to. how to light the, work the lights. <laughs> I, like, I knew everything about the stadium. Um, so I was down at the practice field. And I'm kicking, and I'm 
going about my business, and then this Prius pulls up. And in Concord, North Carolina, back at that time, you really didn't see Priuses. No. Like, at all. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, it's a Prius. Um, and then, not to be racist or anything like that, because anything, but this big black guy gets out of the car. I'm like, well, that is something you didn't really see in Concord either at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, now what's going on here? And then, make deep matters, he was carrying a stick, probably a foot or two long. I'm like, all right, something weird's happening. Like, so I'm like, I'm still kicking, but I'm, he starts walking around the track, and I'm kind of watching him out the corner of my eye, keeping it. I can see him keeping an eye on me, and I'm keeping an eye on him. Like, all right, something's about to happen here. Something's about to go down. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so he eventually starts walking up to me, and I'm just like, all right, here we go. I'm, I'm either throwing a football and running, or I'm fighting. <laughs> and uh, he walks up to me. He's like, are you Bradley Pinion? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he was like, um, I had a dream last night that I was supposed to come talk to you. The Lord came to me in a dream last night that said I was supposed to come talk to you um, and just chat. And something, some of the things that he told me, he, he said he was a preacher from the Salisbury area, which was just ironic because I was driving through Salisbury. Um, he talked, gave me my favorite verse I've used for the rest of, like I will use for the rest of my life. It was Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Um, and this was like right when I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. So it's like, what is your heart telling you is basically what the Lord was telling me. And then um, he just told me, he was just talking to me about like different things and just life in general. And I probably talked to him for a good 20 minutes, it seemed like. He never told me his name. He was wearing, like I, I'll never forget it. He was wearing a bright orange Clemson colored t-shirt. Like and that's you know the Clemson orange. I know is just the a, Clemson orange. It didn't have yes. a tiger paw on it. You very rarely see a Clemson orange shirt without a tiger paw on it. Didn't have a tiger paw on it. And he goes to walk away. Then I turn around to pick up my footballs and start kicking again. And I turn back or like it would seem like five seconds. I don't know if it took me a mi- like a minute to pick up a football and kind of mess with it and turn back around. He was gone. It, it seemed like five seconds, but he wasn't there anymore. He wasn't there. He wasn't there anymore. Um, so I start getting like the shakes, chills, like just on the football field, trying to kick a football and I'm like shaking and I can't drop it. Um, and I just burst out in tears, like just literally start crying on the football field. So I load all my stuff. I was like, I can't kick anymore. Load all my stuff up and I drive home. I lived like five minutes from the field. Um, and I get to the front door and I don't know if my mom could just sense something was going on or what, but. She was already at the front door, like waiting on me to show up, which never happened. Waiting on me to show up. And I'm bawling. She comes out the door, but like as I'm pulling in, like, what's wrong? But I was all I could get out, and this is the worst part, was big black guy and stick. That's all <laughs> that's all I could get out. Like that's literally all I could get out. Um, that's not what no, she No, that's not was, what she wanted to hear. No. But I finally got the whole story out. So she's crying, I'm crying. Um and I really didn't like know, think about, or see the Clemson, sh- like the Clemson colored shirt, until like a day or two after. And I was like, "All right." And then I actually went to like Google the guy because I just wanted to reach out and like thank him for coming and talking to me. The guy doesn't exist. I've tried for the past, let's see, ten years probably to find the guy. He doesn't exist. Nothing. No, he doesn't exist. I fully believe it was an angel of some kind. I know people might think I'm crazy for saying this, but fully believe an angel of some kind. For I'd said a prayer and God answered my prayer. And that was really when like, all right, I'm going to Clemson. That's kind of just like the how it all happened was just craziness. It only only the good Lord can make stuff like that happen. So that was kind of how it all was like, all right, I'm 
I'm going to Clemson. I called Coach Sweeney like the next week and said, all right, I'm coming. And it from rest is history. Did you tell Coach Sweeney that story? I think he's probably heard it. I don't, I don't know if I've actually just straight up told him, but I think he's probably heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you started that story and said this crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely, people That's look at crazy. me cross-eyed when I tell them the story. But I don't discount it, though. Because uh, now it took me a while before I came to my faith until I was like 36 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm about to be 48. But just some of the things that I've been able to witness, I can't explain them either. No, I couldn't explain it. And I've, I think I said, I've tried to find him. So if you're out there and you listen to this podcast, <laughs> reach right. out. Yes, but, Bradley needs some help just for closure here. I, I can't find – I fully believe he just doesn't exist. Did you feel a sense of calmness once you had made the decision in oh, your yeah. mind that I knew I'd I'm made going the right to Clemson? Decision. knew I did. Um, that was like right when Clemson was on the up and up. Coach Sweeney had really just starting to kind of like get in his groove as coaching. Um I met actually that junior day. I met my best friend to this day. Um, the junior, first junior day I went to Clemson. Met my best friend to this day. Um, and who's up, that? Oliver Jones, OJ Jones. Um, he ended up going to Clemson with me and playing. Um, we lived together the whole time we were at Clemson. Um, so it, like everything just felt. I met my wife at Clemson. She was from Pickens, South Carolina, of all places. And if you're from the area, you know Pickens is not very big. <laughs> um, so it was. Like everything it was just meant kinda, to be. Everything just fell into place after that. Like literally one after thing after another. Like it it was unreal. It really was unreal. Now you'd mentioned also kind of during this whole time frame that your parents split up. Mm-hmm. How did that you know, it really affect had a, you? It had a profound effect on me. That happened in seventh, eighth grade. Um so kinda right when football was starting to get big for me. And football ended up becoming my like my release. Um when I would get frustrated if things were going on when I'd be like all right, I need to get out of here. Like, they wasn't a bad divorce or anything along those lines. They still talk to this day. They're still very cordial. My dad's remarried, and my mom's doing her thing, and it's still very cordial. Um, well, there was just some times where I just needed to get out of the house. Yeah, because the family structure yeah. was I mean, they, they fragmented were, They now. were married for 25 years, so it was one of those things where it was like all we, all I knew, like all my brother knew. And, um, like, I, I lived, like, literally across the street when my parents were still together from our high school, so I could walk to the practice field. I walked to school a lot of the times. And um, so I would just grab my bag of footballs and walk to the practice field. And, and do up, your thing. And do my thing when I needed to get away. So I honestly think if my parents wouldn't have split, I probably wouldn't be where I am today because I wouldn't have thrown myself into football like I did. Because football is my, my escape, my release. When I was angry, if anything, I'd go to the football field. If I was sad, I'd go to the football field. If I felt like I was going to cry, I'd go to the football <laughs> field. And there was times where I wouldn't even kick when I was at the football field. You'd I'd just, just go, go out there? I'd go out there and just like sit on the 50-yard line and just kind of look around and kind of like envision things. Like, all right, this is kind of where I want my life to go. This is, And there's times where I'd go out there and I'd hit like 200 footballs because I'd be mad. Um, which looking back on was stupidity, but no, why was that stupid though? <laughs> because you're you're wearing out your leg, you're overdoing it. You're like right now, I'll probably in workouts, I'll never hit more than like fifty footballs, just because to the I'm to the point now where everything's just fine tuning and making small little adjustments or trying to work on something or working on a specific kick or something. To the point now where it's like if I'm going out there and hitting two two hundred footballs, I'm just taking years off of my career. It can be that precise that mm-hmm. you are limiting yourself. Yeah. So almost like a baseball pitcher. It's exactly like a baseball pitcher. 
I'm on a pin like when I'm at practice during the season, I'm on a pitch count. We call it a kick count, but it's a pitch count. Yeah. That's just amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's very much like a pitcher. Very, very much like a pitcher. So it's much more scientific than people give punting and kicking credit. Oh, for sure. My brother is a physical chemist, so he's very scientific. He where physics and chemistry meet, and that's where he does. He's considered like top five in his field and like the world. He works for Intel. Wait, like you ever seen the TV show Big Bang Theory? Yes. So he'll pause the TV show on Big Bang Theory and read the formulas on the blackboards and stuff in the background. Be like, all right, I know that one. And, <laughs> and they keep going. Like so, literally, like he wants Leonard, to solve that problem. Leonard and Sheldon yeah. and everybody on Big Bang Theory are him. Um, so he's really smart, and I've actually like talked to him about the physics of football, how the football flies, and everything. And it's actually pretty cool. And so has he helped you understand a little bit more, or is it not? I mean, that, a lot of times it's so over my head. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, All I need to worry about is like, yeah. don't get this thing blocked. Right. Get it off Basically. as fast as possible. But it actually really helped in the beginning because a lot of punters want to like swipe the ball to make it spiral. But when round objects meets round object, they're going to spiral off of each other. Well, the top of your foot's round and the bottom of the ball's round. So what, all you got to do is make contact with it and it's going to spiral some sort of way. Now, did you have a natural spiral? Because you talked about how you the first time you ever kicked, you... Yeah, kicked it right through the uprights. But what about punting? Did you did that come as natural as well? Yeah, probably even more natural. Um, I always had a problem with my drop. Like the drop is one of the most important things in football for for punters. Um, and I always had a problem with my drop. But I was always so quick and good enough with my leg to where I could make the spiral happen. And it used to frustrate my dad so bad because he would go to all these workouts and instructional stuff with me. And he was like, no, you can't do that. Like, you need to fix your drop. You need to fix your drop. And I'd be like, I'm all right. I'm hitting spirals. I'm hitting balls that turn over. Like, I'm fine. And I honestly didn't fix my drop until probably going into my second year in the NFL. And so what do you mean fix your drop? So my drop used to turn sideways. So, like, you want your drop to be pretty straight. Like, almost, like, straight. straight. So if you put a clock around a ball sitting here, this is 12 o'clock, this is 1 o'clock, and this is 11 o'clock. You want your ball anywhere between 11 and 12. You don't want it getting inside of 11 because then you're having to turn your body and cut up through it and you're losing distance and everything. And my drop used to turn past 11 all the time. <laughs> I would just turn on it and make it go. But um, you compensated somehow. I compensated because I was a bigger dude um, and it made for it in leg speed and leg strength. That's how I compensated. And then when I finally got to the NFL, I was like, all right, I probably need to fix this. <laughs> um, but it's something I wish I would have done way earlier. Uh, you think it would have helped at Clemson? Would it no. help that much? At Clemson, no. Because we had such short fields all the time when I was at Clemson um, that I ended up hitting those, what's now called the Aussie kicks, basically, where the end over end kicks. I hit that 95% of the kicks at Clemson. Um, just because we were always like at the 50 yard line. Clemson, you're either going to stall out on like the 10 or you're going to stall out on the 50 or you're going to score a touchdown. There is no in between when I was there. <laughs> I'm talking like I went from like Taj Boyd, Cole Stout, Deshaun Watson, right? So Taj Boyd, it was like you're either going to stall out right when you get the ball. You're either going to go three and out or you're going to stall out at the 50 halfway through the drive. Cole Stout was like, all right, I kind of don't know where I'm gonna, when I'm going to punt, but I'm going to be ready. And then Deshaun, I was just sitting back on the bench the whole time like, oh, all right, here we go. So that was my three quarterbacks for my three years at Clemson. Now, how did you make the decision then to leave Clemson early? Yeah. Because that doesn't necessarily happen no. too often 
and I'm not sure ever for a punter. Second time in the history of NFL punter left early and got drafted. Okay, second time. Yeah. Because I do remember. Well, the other one was actually Gardaki, another Clemson guy. Yes, another Clemson guy. So yeah. that's that's right. I do remember that 91 mm-hmm. that he did leave. And I think he got drafted in the third round. He did, yeah. Okay, that's um, right. There's been other punters that left early, um, like uh, Brad Wing from LSU. Um, they didn't get drafted, though. No, I and mean, he left early because he got in trouble. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So <laughs> it was a little bit different situation. You made the decision to leave. I made the decision myself. Um, so it was another one of those God things. Um, I'd been contemplating it um, just for my own sake because I felt um, my career, not me as a person, but my career at Clemson to the point where it was very stagnant. We were going to be really good. We weren't really going to punt a lot. If we were going to punt, like I said, it was going to be short fields. I had just set the record for Clemson for punts inside the 20 with like 40-something in a row without a touchback. Um, I had basically broken my own record that year of punts inside the 20. And so I was just kind of like, only thing I'm going to be doing is kicking off, which is great, but I, can, I know I can already kick off. Um, so I used to, go to, used to go to a Bible study on Wednesday nights with a group of the guys. And the Bible study we went to that week was like, mapping out your future and this was like right when i was thinking like considering it i had had talks with my family about it and was just kind of like i don't know if i'm gonna do this um being like considering your calling was what the title of the bible study was about and it was like hit me in like a punch to the face god was like all right here's you asking me all these questions about what you do next year here's your answers and i was just like okay i guess i have a decision to make (laughs) um but yeah so it was same thing, like God, I asked God for some help and he said, here you go and tossed it my way. And, um, did you talk to other people about it yeah, other talk, than your family? Yeah. I talked to some people that I really confiding close to my mentors and, um, kind of, they were very unbiased, very, some of them were like, no, you don't need to do it. Some of them were like, yeah, I could see you doing it. Um, and then I actually sat down and kind of looked at the facts of the matter. Um, and that was really one of the huge deciding factors was like, the class that I came out of college in, um, where I got drafted, there was like no punters whatsoever. It was like me. I think you were the only specialist was, that was, was drafted. There was me and the pick right after me was a long snapper for New England. Um, but that was that was it. Like there was like no no really good kickers, no really good punters bes- besides me. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a good factor. And then if you look at the class where I was supposed to come out, you had, without me even being in the class, you had four kids drafted. So, and I knew, like, you're, you're a kicking fraternity. You know most yeah, of the guys. You know. So I knew all those guys, and I was like, well, not that I don't think I'm good enough, but, like, I can get a leg up and go ahead and get a year in the league when all these young cats, I say young cats, kids of my <laughs> You're age, still young. What yeah, are you talking about? And <laughs> all these young cats are going to be trying to come in. And so that was kind of like more of a strategic move um, because I saw the opportunity, kind of study it, knew I was good enough. I knew I had the feeling in my gut that I was good enough um, and just went out on a limb and made the decision. You know, a, really, a factor that went into it, which is kind of funny to say, I don't know if I've ever admitted this on camera or anything, but um, me and my wife at the time, we dated for six years, um, but it was like right at a time where we had broken up for a little bit, and she was at Clemson and I was at Clemson, and I think it was kind of one of those, like, I think I need to get away from Clemson because she was there and I was just... so. I think that was kind of part of the reason I left. I kind of hate to admit that, but like me and my wife had just broken up, well, girlfriend at the time had just broken up. And I was like, man, I need to get out of Clemson. Like she's here. I got to get away from her. Granted, I ended up running back to her three months later, but 
It well, was, of course, that's yeah, how it works. That's right. how it always works. But um, I think that kind of played in it, a role in it, because it was just like, like I, I, it was just like everything was telling me I needed to just take the next step. Yeah, time step. to move on. Let's right. let's time open a different on. chapter. Yeah, and it was like a, it honestly couldn't have worked better. My same kicking coach, Dan Warner, um, when I called him and told him, like, all right, I'm doing this, he was like, all right, here's the deal. Because I was like, I'm using you to train me. Like, you're the only person I'm ever going to use to train me. Um, he's like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to work this day, this day. This is what we're going to do. And we mapped out my whole plan. I hadn't even had a combine invite at that point. And we were like, we were planning for me to get a combine invite. Like, we were going to plan if you go to the combine. If not, you're, um, what is it? Pro days right Pro after day, that. Yeah. Um, so we play, mapped it out. Got a late combine invite. Um, went to the combine. Had a great comp, funny st- combine story. So Joe Cardona is the long snapper in New England. He snaps the crap out of the ball. Um, and of course at the combine you're kind of got jitters and going on and everything and Joe's been snapping and I've been catching him and punting him and having a good day was kind of starting to feel myself a little bit <laughs> and Joe snapped one and it bounced off my hands and hit me square in the face <laughs> right at the combine and I was just like oh I'm not getting drafted this is bad I just took a snap to the face but no it was yeah. uh, had you ever had that happen to you or how many times have you had that happen where it's took a snap to the face yes that was about the only time I've ever taken a snap to the face. I've taken some to the groin region a few times. <laughs> just kind of like not paying attention. My long snapper happened to snap it, and it just drills you. Because that's kind of what they're aiming for. So Yeah, that's that's right. It's perfect aiming spot. And that's a target. Not paying attention and just drill you, and you're laying on the floor like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> then the pain goes into your stomach. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you better be paying attention yes. uh, without a doubt. So. Tell me then what it's like then at the combine though. Now you talk about there's some jitters or whatever, but I mean you've got all these people just watching you. Talking about a pressure packed type of situation because I mean you're fighting for potentially your livelihood. Yeah. So my combine experience was insane, to be honest with you. So it was like right when a snowstorm came through. Um, so flying out of Charlotte in the snowstorm just doesn't happen because Charlotte's not used to it. So I was actually probably eight hours late getting to the combine because my flight had got canceled. My flight had been rescheduled. So you're like, great, this is a perfect well, way to you know, start. You know, the combine works. You do basically interviews the whole first day, interviews and medical the whole first day. Well, I didn't get there until like midnight and I started my medical at midnight. And when I'm saying medical, you're talking like MRIs, x-rays, seven tubes of blood drawn at midnight oh at midnight I why didn't they just wait till the next day because there's so much you had to do the next day so they're like well we got to get this in well then i had also missed all these interviews with all these special teams coaches well so then i'm starting to have to make up all the interviews so while everybody else has a little bit of downtime i'm making up interviews so my combine experience i tell people is a great experience loved every second of it wouldn't want it any other way but it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience I'd only want to do once in my lifetime. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's it, yes. Like, you like, did it, Literally, you're done. I did it. I was you got the T-shirt. so right? exhausted because you're waking up for a drug test at like 4 a.m. You're waking up at 4 a.m. to go stand in front of a bunch of NFL scouts in compression shorts and get weighed and measured. I mean, it's just it's insane. And by the time you actually kick and stuff, you're so exhausted um, that I literally got off the plane in Charlotte and my mom picked me up. And I think I slept that whole day. 
I was so exhausted from planes getting delayed to talking with coaches because you're trying to be proper. You're trying to be say the right thing. Oh, you, you got to be on the you're whole trying time. To be on it, and everybody was grilling me because they're thinking like this kid is a junior coming out. Yeah, why did they why? ask you? Oh, why I are got, you leaving? Every single, there's got to be some reason. Every single an issue. coach I talked to, and I talked to 30 teams at the combine. Every single coach I talked to was like, "Why?" And I had like a script with my agent. We had scripted out this whole answer, and by the end of it, I was like. I felt like I was good enough. Like, and I was so <laughs> hot by the end of it. I was just like, y'all know the answer already. So, um, yeah, it was a crazy experience. What did Coach Sweeney say when you told he him? He was extremely happy. Um, I went to him actually before the – see, we played Oklahoma that year in the Russell Athletic Bowl. I went to him kind of in preparation for the Oklahoma <clears throat> for the Oklahoma game. And um, I walked in there, and it was kind of funny. I don't know if you saw it coming or what, but – I walked in there and was like, Coach, I just want to like thank you for recruiting me here, blah, 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 stuff. I got like three words out, and he was like, you're leaving early, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I am. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he did his, like, trying to convince me to stay, and which all all coaches should do. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> they want what's best for their team. And then once I kind of just kind of stood my ground and was like, I'm, I've already made this decision. Yeah, in your head, I'm you were physically, I'm not changing mentally my mind. Checked um, out. So I, uh, he was like, okay. And then I proceeded to tell the other coaches like Danny Pierman and guys that I really appreciated in the building. And after that Oklahoma bowl, after the Russell athletic bowl, I played beat in Oklahoma, um, <clears throat> came back to Clemson, packed up my stuff, went to Charlotte. Just like that. Just like that. So no time to really celebrate mm-hmm. the big win against Started Oklahoma. Started working out. Lost, Just go. Lost 25 pounds preparing for the NFL. 25? 25. 25 pounds. I was at 250 when I came out of college and was 225 when I went into the NFL. I don't think I knew that. 250-pound yeah. hunter. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you're you're 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, granted, it was also college and there was a little bit of beer, <laughs> beer weight involved. But was, what are you talking about? Yeah. I, I thought you were supposed to be uh, you know, training at the yeah. highest level yeah. in college, yeah. right? No, if so, uh, yeah, I was 250 and then actually lost 25 pounds. Did how'd you do? How'd you lose 25 pounds? Like uh, I did a lot of hot yoga or Bikram yoga. Um, and then I did a this workout place. There's actually one right down the street, Metabolic. Um, I did a Metabolic workout every day and then basically hot yoga every day and ended up losing, just sweating out 25 pounds, basically, or 25 pounds. And it was a good, I needed it. Um, yeah. Have you kept it off? Uh, I've put it all back on in muscle. Um, so I was like a still scrawny little kid because I was only, what, 20 when I went into the NFL. Um, so I was a scrawny kid. I still had not I still had baby fat. Like, I was still very young. <laughs> yeah, you're still young. Yeah. You're still that young cat, yeah. man. <laughs> uh, don't feel like it sometimes. No. Um, I put it back on. I'm about 240 now. I, I stay in between the 238. But that's a good weight for yeah, you. Yeah, that's where I want to be. I stay in between 238 and 245. As the season wears on and you're stress eating and everything, I get up towards 245. Um, but like right now when I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, working out all the time, I'm usually below 240, right at 240. Now, did you have any of the players, though, come to you and say, man, you're crazy. What are you doing leaving early? You're, you're a punter. I had fans. I had other I'll coaches. I'll go and tell you. I mean, when sure I saw you talk the news, about me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this oh, is yeah. crazy. Yeah. I had a bunch of people be like, this is crazy. And then I'd kind of explain to them when I just explain to you, like, there's no punters in this class. This class has punters. I really feel like I can get drafted, like, blah, blah, all this stuff. 
And uh, well, I had to eat crow when I see your name get drafted in the fifth round by the 49ers. Pick like, 65. Well, there we go. Yeah. He, he knew something that yeah. I didn't know. It, and that was another God thing. Like, literally, the 49ers called me a week before the draft. I had not really talked to the 49ers. Actually, I tell you, when I was at the Combine, I talked to 29 teams. The 49ers had not even hired their coaches yet because they had just went through a, the hardball change, basically. Um, so I hadn't even talked to them yet. And like it's like a week or week and a half before the draft, and I talked. My it was looking like I was going to go to like Oakland or Miami. And both of them were like, "We're going to draft you. We just don't know where." And so they'd been telling you that. Yeah. So I'm like, "Sweet, I'm getting drafted." Like this is what's going on. I get a call on a Friday night at like eight o'clock from a California number. And when during this time, you answer every single phone call. I you bet get. you do. So from especially from a California number. So I was thinking it was Oakland. Honestly, and I answered the phone, and he was like, "Hey, this is Thomas McGahee, special teams coach for the Fort Niners." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> um, it was like, "I'm going to be in town tomorrow to work you out." I'm like, "Okay." He said, "I need you to find a field, um, and then, um, and this is my cell phone number. Text me where it's going to be and what time." He said, "Preferably in the morning." And I said, "Yes, sir." That was like the extent of the conversation. And that was it. And it was game on. You better I find mean, a field. Luckily, like, I know everybody in the area. And we were in my hometown. And I found um, it was actually supposed to rain. So I was like, I need a turf field so I'm not kicking in mud. <laughs> so I went to a, a new turf field um, that my grandpa was actually principal of the high school way back in the day. and um, Or assistant principal of the high school way back in the day. And so we went to that high school. And it was pouring down rain. Um, I hit five punts and crushed every single one of the punts and the guy was like i don't need to see any more punts um i hit four kickoffs um every single one of them was out the back of the end zone and the guy was like all right we're good so i literally hit like maybe 10 balls total 15 balls total um for san francisco and then we went to eat this little breakfast spot down the street that was locally owned that we loved and um he was like, we'll be, we'll be in touch. He flew back to California. I went back. I called my kicking coach, Dan. He's like one of my best friends. He was actually in my wedding. And he was like, I just crushed that workout. I literally hit like 10 balls. And uh, he was like, awesome. And two or three days before the draft comes, he calls me and was like, we really want you. Like, be ready. And then the day of the draft, the day of this, the second day of the draft, of course, I'm not going in the first day. Second day of the draft, um, he calls me and says, hold on to your seat. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to try to get you. Um, and then I'd looked at it already and kind of mapped out like, all right, where do I think I'm going to go? And San Francisco had three picks in the fifth round. And everybody was like, y'all, Yo, you'll go in the sixth or seventh round. I was like, nah, I'm going to San Francisco right here in one of, in one of these three <laughs> one picks. One of these in the fifth round. And um, I actually didn't watch the first day of the draft. Couldn't sit still to watch it. Didn't watch the second, third, or fourth round. I sat down for the fifth round. And was watching the tickers, watching it in San Francisco. And so where are you when you're watching? I'm sitting in the living room in my house. I was actually like in the yard working um, because I couldn't sit still <laughs> until the fifth round. And I had my mom call me into the house when the fifth round started. And uh, I was sitting there and saw these San Francisco picks go by. And I was like, well, all right. Like they had traded away one of them. Um, and then next thing I know, they traded back in. And I'm just like, okay, like what's going on? And then that pick rolls up my phone rings and it was one of the best days of my life of course yeah. and what'd they say to you uh, he was like hey Bradley this is we call him T-Mac we say, hey Bradley this is T-Mac um, 
how you want you want to be a San Francisco 49er and I'm like I would love to be a San Francisco 49er <laughs> he was like all right I think we're about we're about to draft you and he handed the phone to the GM at the time who was Trent Baalke and Trent was and his raspy voice that he has was like are you ready to be a San Francisco 49er we're getting ready to draft you just submitted the card watched my name come across the screen which was funny because they pronounced my name wrong on the TV, and then <laughs> all the announcers were like, a punter's getting drafted in the fifth, fifth round. and I know they had to be talking about yeah. it. And I was started doing all these media phone calls on, on, um, through the 49ers, and literally, what, 10 days later, I was in San Francisco. Who was the first person you told? That I got drafted? Yeah. Um, I mean, dad, I know your mom uh, was My there. mom was sitting there. Um, I called my dad immediately. Um, and told him he of course he saw it on the tv so he's waiting um and i was like dad i'm sorry i couldn't call you and tell you beforehand i was on the phone with them um called them i'd actually we just gotten back together with now my now wife um and so i called and called her and then we actually basically called and told our whole family and then we went um and ate dinner as a big group and uh it was awesome and then getting to san francisco what's that like though as you're coming in as a rookie so you got all these veterans. Yeah. It, well, at the time, they still had a punter on the roster. They still had Andy Lee, who was a three-time pole bowler, been in the league 11 years, still playing for Arizona. Um, so I was thinking, like, you know, I'm going to be on practice squad for a year. It was kind of what my thought, almost like redshirting, basically. And uh, it was kind of what my thought process was. Um, but then my agent called me and was like, there's some rumblings that they're getting rid of Andy, they're trading Andy. And then literally, like, Five hours later, they traded, traded, traded at Andy. And I'm like, well, all right, I guess I'm the guy. I'm the only one here. <laughs> um, but it was good. I mean, it was. we had some big names in the locker room at the time. Like you had Colin Kaepernick. You had Eric Reed. You had Joe Staley, um, Darnell Dockett. Uh, Frank Gore just left, but you still had guys like uh, Cowboy. Uh, I don't remember what his real name is. But you had that, that, that team that had just gone to the Super Bowl, That's basically. Right. So there was a lot of huge names. I was like, oh, we're going to be great like we're gonna be good and then that's when like everybody retired everybody <laughs> left and um but it was good um they really accepted me really well i got the privilege of learning from phil dawson one of the best to ever do it oh my goodness yes um for two years um and he taught me a lot and then phil dawson left and then robbie gold comes in and he's a, another one of the best to ever do it so i've played with two hall of fame i truly believe hall of fame field goal kickers um got to learn a lot from both of them um, both of them will be friends so the day I die. Um, and, and now, did the 49ers, did they want you just to concentrate punting only? Or no, did they, they wanted me to punt and kick off. So a lot of those teams now are going for older kickers because they know they can make field goals. Um, but they're not going to be quite be able to kick off. So it's like kind of made me a hot commodity right in the, kind of this day and era because they want the kid that can make the most field goals. But then you have a, if you have a guy that can punt and kick off, it makes your field goal kicker more accurate. Yeah, because that's all they had to do. Right, specialize so to do. on the so like Phil had two goals. Of, Phil Phil had two of his best years in his what 15, 16 year career that he's had. Wow, he had more than that. It was eighteen, nineteen year career that he's had. Um, two of his best years when he was in San Francisco with me because all he was doing was focusing on um, kicking field goals. And then Robbie's actually had the two best years of his career, um, and he's played almost fifteen years. Um, we set the league record for percentage of made field goals over two years, me and Robbie have. And it's like at 96, 97% on field goals. I think we've missed like three or four, and one of them was blocked, which counts as a miss. Um, 
in the past two years. Yeah, that's a high percentage. Yeah, and he's automatic. I mean, the dude's got ice in his veins. You, and he's so he's so much fun to play like to play with too, because we'll be joking around on the sideline, and then we go into the game, and it's just like different person comes out. Okay, so it's a it's like you have one person on the sideline, and then you walk out onto that field, and it's like you're you can see the look in his eyes, and it's just like all right, as long as I don't screw up this hold, we're making this. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's been really cool. To play yeah, with how guys. how nervous do you get when you're having to hold? Holden's one of my favorite things, honestly. And that was one of my knocks coming out because um, I didn't hold at Clemson. Um, we had Chandler Catanzaro, who was still one of my great friends. Um, but one of the Christian big things is basically like either letting like a walk-on guy or a kid that he thinks deserves to play that works his tail off hold. Um, and that time, that point, we had Corbin Jenkins was our holder. And he was our like f- fourth-string punter. Um and he was our holder. And so that was actually a big knock on me coming out that I had to prove to, to teams. Like during my workouts, they would literally throw me balls to see if I could hold. Um, I was like, I promise you I can hold. I'd held in practice at Clemson all the time because I knew the day was coming. Um, and I begged Coach Sweeney to let me hold. And he just wouldn't do he it. He wouldn't do mm-hmm. it. He wouldn't do it. Um, so it was. I think it's one of the most undervalued Well, guys will get down on positions. the knee. Guys will get down on the knee and try to do it. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, come on, guys. Here, I'll, you want me to do it left-handed? Here, I'll do it left-handed. No, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the most fun part of, parts of my job. Yeah, but it's very important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw with, with Tony Romo. Oh, yeah. His missed hold yeah. you know, against Seattle. I mean, so it's, it can change a it game. It can change a game, for sure. And it's kind of goes, like, if you mess up, it goes kind of under the radar, unless you mess up kind of like Tony Romo did. Yeah. But, like, if you screw up a hold, lean in the wrong or something along those lines and the kicker misses it, the only person that's really going to know is between you and the kicker. And it depends on how nice your kicker is, if they're going to throw you into the bus or not. <laughs> um, yeah, did you have any of those guys? No, hey, I actually had... come on, Bradley. That like, was a horrible hold. I mean, of course they'll tell me, but they'll never go to the media and be like, hey, the, most of the time they'll be like, yeah, it's I, sh- I should have made it. Um, <laughs> but actually, one of the reasons that I am as good of a holder as I am today is because Phil Phil Dawson, I mean, he was pretty particular in the way he likes the ball hitting held. So I sat there on a jugs machine, the short jugs machine, and would catch like 100 field goal snaps a day when I first got there. Because, I mean, I wasn't 100% used to it. Um, and he would sit there and I'd hold it and he'd look at it and be like, all right, good. All right, lean this one a little more that way. All right, lean this. So I just got into like a, a feel for it. And I credit him to like making me do that and kind of me being younger, 20, because I mean, I was the youngest player in the NFL my first year in the NFL. I was still twenty, just turned twenty-one when the first when my first season started. A young pup for sure. Yeah. Um, so and he was probably the oldest guy in the NFL, <laughs> if not close. Him and Vinatieri were kind of the same year. Um, so how, how tough was that then, being on your own out in San Francisco? It wasn't too bad. Um, I was. I mean, I would hadn't lived with my parents or anything for a while. Um, and you still have the guys on the team, so you're still kind of like having that camaraderie of being around people. Um, the toughest part was actually being away from my girlfriend at the time for basically three years. We lived across separate ends of the country, um, which was tough. And the time distance, she had just started being a kindergarten teacher, so she was trying to go to bed early. And where I'm <laughs> like, it's like nine o'clock here and it's six o'clock in California, and you're trying to have conversations. I was ended up waking up at like three a.m. in the morning. Well, she's driving on the way to work just to have conversations with her. And then that got me in trouble because it's 3 a.m. and I'm falling asleep on the telephone. And <laughs> It was tough. That was one of the toughest parts. Um, and that's what one of the best things that we got married and she decided, you know what, like I'm coming to California with you. 
And so this past year was our first year together, actually for like a whole year since college. And uh, it it was really, really good. Yeah. How did you propose to her? So it was actually really cool. Um, we got we actually got a dog, which was insane. I don't recommend anybody doing this. We got <laughs> yeah, a, dogs are. <laughs> we got hey, a dog. That's a commitment too. My freshman year of college, her sophomore. She's a year older than me. Her sophomore year, um, and the only thing she loves more than me is that dog. I promise you. It depends on the day, though, right? No, it's always <laughs> the dog. Always the dog. And so we were. Uh, she loves that dog. Actually, when we broke up, she kept the dog. I tried to fight for the dog. She kept the dog. Um, and so when we got back together, I, like I knew it was like, all right, this is the woman I'm marrying. Like I, I knew. Um, so I waited probably two years um, and took the dog. I had this whole thing set up, like this whole big proposal. So I'm really good friends with the country. I don't know if you listen to country music, but um, Low Cash. Oh, yeah. So I'm really good friends with. Preston and Chris from Low Cash. And I had it all set up. They were having a concert in Charlotte. I was going to do it on stage at the concert. And my wife's, I'm pretty like, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it big. And my wife's very, very pickings, if you know what I mean. Like very small <laughs> town, very not going to do it. She doesn't big. need a lot of right. well, somehow, fanfare. I had like her family coming into Charlotte, my family coming into Charlotte. My brother was going to be there. And I was on the phone and like trying to see if my brother was going to be there because I had blocked off hotel rooms. And I, took the phone call, I was talking to my brother and hung up and then he texted me and was like, hey, we'll be there because he knew I was with Kaylee at the time. He was like, hey, we'll be there. And I was just like, not even thinking out loud, like, oh, awesome, my brother's going to be there. And I'm like, she's like, going to be where? And I was like, oh, they want to surprise you and come into town for the concert. And I'm like, shh, I just screwed this up. So she starts texting, because I already told all of her friends because they were all coming. She starts texting all of her friends like, if he's going to do this on stage, like, and I was like, all right, I got to change something. So literally I reverted plans like last minute and made a sign and put it around our dog. Um, our dog's name is Nala. One of our dog's name is Nala. And um, wrote, will you marry dad on it? And had her... Um, and took her and set her in front. Like she's certified as a service dog, basically. So she's and what type of dog? It's a lab. Okay. She's a very obedient dog. And I set her in front of the door and rang the doorbell. And I was all dressed up and got down on one knee and had the ring sitting there when she opened the door and the sign right beside me on the dog. So it worked out really well. And then we went to the concert afterwards and hung out with all of our friends and family. And we actually did go up on stage and dance. I wasn't going to let her get away with it. We actually did go up <laughs> you on stage. Still, and yeah, dance. you need to make I sure you're up it. there. We still got it. Um, but that's kind of how I did it. It was it was a lot of fun, a lot a lot of fun. Well, my wife's probably going to be jealous because it definitely was not as <laughs> memorable when I proposed uh, twenty plus years ago. And so I am envious and jealous that I didn't do something as special as you did. So and the best part about it was she would have been happy with me just taking her to dinner. That's true. Proposing. That's right. That's, and that was that's best, what we say, right? That was the best part about it. I <laughs> I went above and beyond and didn't have to. Now. You mentioned some of the players that were there, mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. So you were there for the, the I was circus. There the whole shebang, yeah. What was that like being in the in the middle of that firestorm? You know, I, people ask me that all the time. And um, Cap is actually a really good dude. Um, an awesome guy. Love him to death. He could call me today and I'd give him the shirt off my back. Yeah, but um, and I understand what he's doing. I really do. I get it. Grant, doesn't match with my beliefs. No, not exactly. Um, but I understand what he's doing, and in a way, I kind of support what he's doing. Um, now, granted, not to the stream that he's doing it. Um, I would never take a knee for the national anthem. That's just not who I am. But it was very eye-opening. Um, I think the only place he could have 
did that was San Francisco. So he was very fortunate that he was in San Francisco. Um, but it was honestly looking back on it now that it's kind of passed a little bit. Um, it was kind of cool to be a part of, um, because you had conversations with guys in locker rooms that kind of transcended, transcended race and you were, it, yeah, you probably wouldn't have ever you had those have ever really had. That's right. Um, so it was cool, but one of the craziest part about it would be like being booed running onto your home, own home field. That that part still like irked me and irked me with the fans at that point. Um, like you'd be booed, you'd the national anthem would be playing, and there'd be people booing because he'd be taking a knee. That's stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I really didn't like about it. Um, and I kind of didn't like that it kind of drew away from actual football. And that's what I would tell people. I'm like, yeah, I understand what he's doing and understand the oppression part of it. I understand the priest brutality part of it. Do I, do I think there's better ways that it probably could have been done? Absolutely. Everybody does. Um, but there's always going to be. You could find the perfect thing and somebody's still going to think there's a better way to do it. Uh, but it was it was very eye-opening. And a guy coming from Concord, Charlotte area to kind of get to experience that and marrying a girl from the Pickens area <laughs> um, and going to school in Clemson, it was very different. Um, for me to go through but it was actually like looking back on it it was kind of cool to be like because that'll be something that goes down in history big time yeah and to say you were part of that team you you knew Cap I knew Cap pretty well I actually used to play him in ping pong every single day and um, so like just to kind of say you you knew him and you were part of it it's kind of cool to say but it was like a crazy time like it was, it, parts it got scary because you didn't know what fans were going to throw something. You didn't know somebody was going to try. Because there was people that wanted to kill Cap. I mean, there were people that wanted to shoot him. You didn't know if Cap was going to get shot going onto the field. Did like, you ever really think about that as oh, you're yeah, getting out you there to play? You would definitely think about it. Um, you would 100% think about it because, I mean, there was, like, you, if you could see the amount of, like, letters that Cap got, it'd be like boxes upon boxes. Some of them would be death threats. Some of them would be some people supporting him. Some people, it, would, it was insane. I honestly, like, I don't know how Cap went through it. I really don't. Um, like I said, I have a lot of respect for him. I, he called me today. I'd give him the shirt off my back. Uh, but it, it, was, it was a crazy time. Was the locker room divided? There was reports that it was, but I really never felt it was really divided. Um, it puts some tension. You have some good old boys on some teams. I mean, there's always going to be good old boys, and there's always going to be some. There's always going to be people of different races on teams, and so I mean, there's. I don't think it ever really divided our locker room. I think it was more guys really just didn't like it as a distraction, from the aspect of it where like reporters wouldn't ask you about football anymore. They yeah, they were asking, always asking you questions asking about the you national about anthem. National anthem. What are you going to do for the national anthem? Do you support cap? And if you come out and say no, I don't support cap, it makes you look like a bad guy. Well, if you come out and say, I support Cap, it makes you look like a bad guy. <laughs> so it was like guys were just kind of fed up with that side of it. Um, I don't think anybody actually really, I won't say cared that he was doing it. I think they cared that it was taken away from football. And that's that's what I cared about. Like, I don't, I don't really care that you're doing it. I don't really care. You have the right to stand up for what you want to stand up for. Um, but I don't like the fact that it's taken away from my job and football and the way, like, the way that it, shift the focus for the San Francisco 49ers for a few years away from football sure and all did. the social injustice. And it's finally switched back. Now, who would win in ping pong, you or Cap? Oh, me. Every time. <laughs> Every single time. Every time. Specialists are always the best ping pong players in the room. Now, why is that? It's probably because we have the most time. Yeah, because you get to practice have, all the time, the right? Time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely me. Actually, the best ping pong player I've ever seen is Matt Barkley. Best football ping pong player I've ever seen is Matt Barkley. You couldn't beat him? Mm-mm. I, I mean, I beat him a few times, but dude's good. 
Dude's real good. Now, could you ever officially make the transition when you retire from football to go into ping pong? No chance. Those guys are <laughs> unreal. You sitting there watching these ping pong videos? It's and insane, like, isn't it? Yeah, no, not that good. Yeah, good, but not that good. Now, how many tackles have you had in the NFL? I am. Oh, I used to know this stat. I think I'm four for six on tackles. I had two this year. I had one my one or two my rookie year. I got completely put on skates. No, I'm yeah, I'm like four for six. I got put on skates by Lockett my rookie year. I got put on skates by Lockett. I don't think it was Lockett. Maybe mm, I don't know who it was this year, but it was Seattle's kick return. I got put on skates by him again this year. Both of them were against Seattle. Um, but yeah, I think I'm like four for six somewhere in there. And how? When you have to watch film or guys laughing at you because you got put on skates. <laughs> no, here's my philosophy. There's 10 other guys' job to tackle one dude, and my job's to punt the football. <laughs> if I'm having to make a tackle, something went wrong. Something yeah, has gone going really, really, really wrong. No, they don't make fun of you. Actually, we actually do tackling circuit. Me and Robbie do every week. So I know how to make a tackle. It's just it's a lot different when it's game speed, and that guy's 250 pounds running up. Four or five straight back at you. So I don't know how guys yeah. make tackles. I, don't I really don't. It's it's insane how these guys go through it and make those tackles every week. I made one tackle and thought my shoulder had broke. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, what would you be doing if you weren't playing football? Um, somewhere in the business sector. Um, my dad was CEO of a company for a really long time, so I'd be some some type of my my degrees in business management. Um, so I'd be doing something like that, or I'd be coaching. Um, if I wouldn't have made it into the NFL, I'd be coaching um, football somewhere. Be, I don't think I'll ever be able to fully step away from football. So has football, obviously, I mean, I know it's your career and everything, but has it taken place of your true love of soccer, though? Oh, for sure, 100%. And that, that happened in high school. Um, I played soccer, actually. I used to go to from – be at the football practice, leave football practice, go to soccer practice, leave soccer practice, go back to football practice. That's kind of what my high school was like. So I played both in high school, but yeah. And I was still, Clemson, I love watching soccer. I still watch soccer. Um, I would love to play it, but I'm not going to risk it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely taking place. I love football. My Shoot, my life rotates around football. So <laughs> exactly. I have this to is love your it. career now. Yeah, you better I have love, love it. Have to love it. <laughs> right. Now, other things that I like to focus on as yeah. we're wrapping up here is just words of wisdom that you know can impact people's lives, and it can be phrases, mottos, quotes, or whatever. But what about from your perspective? Do you have any words of wisdom, and it could just be even life advice that has meant a lot to you? Uh, one of the biggest ones, like I said earlier, is that Proverbs twenty three seven: "As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he." And that's basically just being like, trust your heart, trust your gut, um, and give it all you got. Um, go at everything, even if people think you're crazy. Go at everything with, like, you aren't crazy, I mean, even though you are crazy. <laughs> um, that that's my biggest one. And then another one is just um, don't ever give up, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter if your parents are getting divorced, no matter if people say you can't do it that means you should try harder it means you should prove more people wrong that's really what my whole career has been about people have been like oh you're not good enough to leave early all right well i'm gonna leave early then um oh you're not good enough to make it four years in the nfl well i'm going into my fifth year this year like you're not good enough to get a d1 scholarship well i had about 33 of them like well like that's just kind of like what my whole life's been about um and 
And were you motivated to prove people wrong? Always. always. That's just the type of person I am. I'm super competitive. Like me and my wife can't play games together because we're both <laughs> super competitive and it just ends in a fight every single time. Um, like I'm super competitive and that's just partly of what's gotten me to where I am today. It's just being competitive and wanting to compete and wanting to win and wanting to be the best to do it and wanting to wanting to be like the Ray guys of the world, wanting to be like the Chris Gardakis, wanting to be like the Dell Hatchers, like wanting to be like these guys um, that just played for forever um, and wanting to be in those Clemson, in that Clemson Hall of Fame, wanting to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. That's the stuff that drives you. And if the stuff like that doesn't drive you, then you aren't going to last. And that's just kind of what I've learned from these older cats like Phil and like Robbie and like Joe Staley's and the Richard Sherman's and all these guys that I'm playing with. It's they have things outside of football that motivate them more than actual football does. And uh, that's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you playing into your 40s like out of military. That's what keeps you playing and being the best your careers you've ever had at 35 like Robbie Gold. Um, and that's, that's kind of what drives you. Can you play into your 40s? If I played into my 40s, I would have played over 20 years. I don't, I don't know. It'd be a great career. Yeah, heck of a career. <laughs> I, don't, I think my wife would kill me if I did that. Um, she used to tell me all the time, I don't think it's this way anymore, but she used to tell me all the time her, her least favorite part about me is that I played football. Which is probably why I married her. Um, because I mean, she loves football. She loves watching football. But she, it, football takes a lot of time. It takes a lot away from actually being a family. And she used to tell me that all the time. And we'd laugh about it to this day. Um, but yeah. Well, you're definitely following your heart and not giving up. So congratulations on where you're going. And obviously, I can't thank you enough for being a guest here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a great time. While the things that motivate you can obviously affect your inner drive and how you view things in life and the goals that you try to accomplish, the belief in yourself and what you believe in your heart can be even more important as Bradley has shown through his verse, Proverbs 23, 7, and that we are all truly a function of what we believe to be undeniably true in our own hearts. Now that finishes episode 104, and you can find more of our content by visiting our Rich Take on Sports Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can easily follow and subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 